welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris Weber, and here with my co-host, Heather Weber. Hello! And uh, our other co-host couldn't join us this time, but we do have a very special guest, uh, Emily Siebold, joining us. Woo! She's an artist, and she also studies anthropology and biology. What's up, nerds? (laughs) (laughs) So, do you know anything about human sacrifices? More than I would probably bring up when meeting new people, yes. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's not a bad, you know... Icebreaker? Oh, that's a fun yeah. one. Yeah, well, really squirrel out who you can talk to and who you can't really fast, <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Hey, babe, how do you feel about hearts being ripped out of chess? Happy <clears throat> Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have the same problem with serial killers. I just need to... Yeah, some people really latch on, and then some people are like... Oh. Mm. <laughs> Pour their drink out. Oh, my drink's empty. I gotta... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't start talking about Ed Gein. <laughs> Clear room. Yeah, right. So, um, yeah, last time we promised the listeners that we would get into something a little more gruesome. And uh, so I hope this episode won't disappoint. Mm. So this week we will be putting human sacrifices under the pendulum. So we'll be looking at some of the various methods of sacrifice from around the world and throughout history. And uh, as we'll see, there are many similarities uh, between different cultures, which kind of highlight these human universals um, when it comes to how and why humans have sacrificed other humans. We'll be employing quite a few sources on this episode, but our main sources will be Human Sacrifices in History and Today by Nigel Davies and Human Sacrifice by Lark Recht. Man, your evenings must have just been really pleasant recently. Oh, yeah. They got lurked. It's funny because dad asked me last night. He's like, so uh, do you get nightmares (laughs) from the stuff you study? (laughs) This is who I am, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, not often, but sometimes. <clears throat> He's really saying, you know, you give me nightmares, son. <laughs> <laughs> you were a scary boy then, and you're a scary boy now. I <laughs> uh, see so your bookshelf's looking a little uh, macabre. Yeah. <laughs> so, um. Slips an episode of Garfield in there. Yeah. A book of Garfield in there. Just like, <laughs> so it's Cal- Calvin and Hobbes on there. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> So um, we'll be looking at a lot of textual accounts, but we'll also be looking at archaeological evidence of human sacrifice. I'll post a bunch of the sources that I look through. Most of them are academic works. So we'll post those on the website uh, if anybody is interested in reading them. But I also do recommend the two books. The one by Recht is really an archaeological stance. Like it, she just looks at all the ar- archaeological evidence uh, from different areas. And Human Sacrifices is a little more of a better read. He just wrote it for a wider audience and it's not so bogged down with kind of sciencey scholarly talk Ugh, so gross. yeah i know it's fucking mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would definitely recommend those uh yeah the nigel davies one's really good so okay. um there's gonna be a lot of information in this episode and i couldn't put all of it in yeah. so i really had to kind of pick and choose so um yeah we might have to end up doing another episode at some point well that's fine yep. sacrifice is always fun so there's a lot of debate on what constitutes human sacrifice and there were a lot of things i wanted to add in this episode but for time's sake i picked some of the most compelling cases that have been backed up by archaeology and textual accounts as well Ooh. Uh-huh. Again, we may have to visit these concepts in later episodes. One I really wanted to cover was the Cults of the Skull, and it's one of the earliest instances of death and skull worship. That um, sounds metal. rad. Yeah, it, it's like evidence <laughs> goes back to like 50,000 years ago. Oh. Yeah, so we'll have to cover that sometime. Um, but 
but it was just a lot to add in for this one. So this yeah. is going to be a very broad. Um, yes. and as an anthropologist that uh, shuffles my pages. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. There's one is like uh, the Neanderthal man. It's like a body they found and there is like evidence of um, some sort of like sacrificial violent trauma found on the body and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. just like this fixation with the skulls and they would make bowls or dishes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it went up until, you know, thousands of years later, but mm-hmm. yeah. But anyway. We're getting a little off track. That's a lot right. of those ancient cultures thought your soul resided in your head. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a lot of it, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. It only, like, migrated further down later to be, like, the heart. Like, Whoa. linked with that, yeah. So, um, I kind of structured this episode. We're going to be on kind of a little imaginary boat. And we're going to be... Doot, ca- doot. <laughs> we're going to hop around <laughs> from these kind of ancient <laughs> cultures into these different continents. Okay. So, that's kind of the way I decided to break it up. I just thought it'd be more fun. Oh, it could sail the open seas. I mean, what's <laughs> the up bloody about ocean that? seas? Get your imagination <laughs> caps on, kidding. Ahoy! So, with that said, let's begin. So, human sacrifice can be difficult to define sometimes. The most widely accepted definition of sacrifice is... Minimum. The wage yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's exactly it so, so it's the uh, the killing of people or of animals as an offering to a deity or as an act of worship or appeasement so ritual and religion go hand in hand when dealing with sacrifices as nigel davies points out we may define the term as killing with a spiritual or religious motivation usually but not exclusively accompanied by ritual so we can be sure though that it always worked to serve a purpose and while we might believe that the actual killing was the highlight of the event the killing was usually just a means to an end the believed or anticipated result was a real end game everyone involved believed in what they were trying to accomplish whether that was to appease an angry god or spirits and demons to save a community from catastrophe to give the deceased company into the afterlife or to send the victim as a messengers to the gods uh, but either way the ends always justify the means Ooh, that's dark <laughs> yep <laughs> so it was important most of the time for the victim to be willing or at least to show a willingness for the ceremony can you imagine <laughs> <laughs> oh pick me pick me <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, Davey points out a few exceptions to this, like the uh, children sacrificed to the Mexican rain gods uh, who were encouraged to cry as their tears brought promise of rain. Oh, God. Yeah, it's going to be like this most of it. So oh, man. Strap in, everybody. Fun. Okay. <laughs> but the gods would be pissed if someone had to be brought kicking and screaming to the sacrificial altar. And we might ask, why the hell would anyone be stoked to be sacrificed? It's a very good question. It often came in the promise that they would be rewarded and gain blessings in the afterlife. And there it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wouldn't always just be one victim. Sometimes it could be a whole host of people, which we see most often in retainer sacrifices, which we'll cover in a bit. But the idea to keep in mind is that these were often done out of fear of retribution or cruelty from the gods or spirits, and the idea is to gain favor from these higher powers. Another thing to keep in mind is that these rituals were often carried out by the priest class or royalty, and many suggest that these practices were also a way to control populations. Shocker. Yeah. It's like we're talking about now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, a lot of parallels. We just never stop doing this shit. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, when you put the fear of God into people and make it clear that you're the only ones who can do anything to alleviate any impending doom or destruction... It keeps people in line most of the time. 
<laughs> so Davies suggests that there are a few hits when it comes to why people practice human sacrifice. Success in war, to keep away plagues and epidemics, to save the life of another person, usually an ill king, to bless the construction of a building or town, to accompany a dead king to the afterlife, and even to increase the likelihood of fertility, not just in childbirth, but also in harvests. And when we look for signs of human sacrifice archaeologically, we are always looking for two things. Signs of a violent cause of death and signs of a sacred religious context. You know, you'd think they'd let them <clears throat> down easily if they were being sacrificed, you know, like volunteering and getting all this wonderful reward after death. Yeah, I mean, and as we kind of... No, it's like, you're going to bleed to death for hours. We're going to cut your head off in front of your family. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, as we'll see, some were more gentle with it, but yeah. uh, but sometimes the brutality was part of the ritual, you know? Yeah, okay. So we also need to keep in mind, much of this information is speculative. Uh, we do have archaeological evidence and textual evidence that can bolster the claims, but it's highly debated and argued among scholars. A lot of different countries will be like, well, our people didn't practice that, <laughs> you know, and like, so any evidence they find, they'll say, well, no, that's not that. Because oh, okay. most people want to think that their you know ancestors were more progressive and, you know, superior. Right. So it's sort of like... They want to sweep it under the rug a little bit. Right. They don't want to go back in that family tree and find out they're related to a mm -hmm. murderer. Yeah. Or, yeah, I mean, or that they practice such, you know, barbaric, right. you know, practices. So. Would you say that they had skeletons in their closets? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> they had skeletons in something. <laughs> Mass graves. So I guess with that little uh, prologue said, uh, let's do a little tour of the world and history of human sacrifices. <laughs> so let's go way back to early Sumerian civilization. The city of Ur is located in southern Mesopotamia, which is modern day Iraq. Some of you might be familiar with the city as having ties to the biblical Abraham, who left Ur for Canaan, and also the uh, mythical king Gilgamesh is said to have ruled Ur. So Ur is believed to have been settled as a small village around 5000 BC, but was then founded as a city by 3800 BC. In 1927, Sir Leonard Woolley began excavating there, in what would become known as the Royal Cemetery of Ur. There, Woolley found some of the earliest evidence and examples of mass human sacrifice. The 16 tombs that make up the cemetery were largely untouched, containing a wealth of goods, and their size and construction demonstrate an elaborate funeral procession and ritual for royalty. The victims contained within these tombs vary between 70 and 80, and these tombs and their victims become a prime example of retainer sacrifices, where the victims had some relation to the deceased, usually a king or some royalty. They could be servants, family members, associates, or anyone who was subordinate to the deceased. The belief was that these victims would follow their master to the afterlife, where they would continue to attend them there. And as Davy points out, There was a firm belief that there was an existence beyond the grave that was more or less a replica of life on this planet. People who held such beliefs would have been aghast at the idea that their king, so glorious in life, should be abandoned in death, that he who had been their vital force in this world should be left to fend for himself in the next. So the 16 tombs were made up of a main tomb and with smaller ones connected to it, and each one holding the remains of victims as well as offerings. And these became known as death pits. So, oh, yeah, it's fucking oh, awesome. No. <laughs> so, so in these pits, they found... <laughs> They found soldiers with copper weapons and armor, uh, oxen wooden wagons, animal skeletons, and in a few of them, there would be a row of uh, a female skeletons, which were adorned with uh, elaborate finery and jewelry. And in one pit, the ladies had been placed in a line with their heads leaning against the same wall, and placed on top of them were liars. Lears? 
Is that how you say it? I think so. Lyres? Lyres? Yeah, lyres are like uh, instruments. Yeah, it's the instruments, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Mm -hmm. so in front of them and in the rest of the pit was also a mass of human and animal bones, uh, making this particular one have a total of 63 human skeletons in the pit. Can you imagine setting that (laughs) shit up, like arranging all these bodies in like a row and then like decorating them? I just don't know if this looks right. <laughs> now there should be more skulls over here. The English ways. Is that lady from Netflix who gets you to get rid of all of your stuff? Oh, Marie Kondo. Yeah. yeah. Marie, Marie Kondo's Kondo, just in there bit. like, I just don't think there's enough severed heads. Does this severed head <laughs> This not... does not spark happiness. Yeah. Does this make you happy? <laughs> the largest of the pits, which was aptly named the Great Death Pit, held the largest number of retainers. The victims were all adults, six males and 68 females. And this is the scene told by Rex. Typical. <laughs> <laughs> the six men were all in a row against the northeastern wall, and five were associated with an axe or knife. Below them, four women were associated with four leers. The remaining part of the southwestern end of the pit contained the rest of the women in mostly neat rows, each in fine dress, with silver or gold hair decorations and jewelry. Some of the bodies were overlapping, providing that their depositions were simultaneous. So this is an important indication when looking for mass ritual sacrifice, is the overlapping of bodies shows that they were buried together, as there aren't these layers of sediment that show additional burials after the initial one. So Woolley believed the retainers found in the tombs of Ur had died voluntarily by drinking cups of poison. He based this on their peaceful postures in the presence of small bowls and cups. Many times there was one cup to each skeleton, and a large cauldron was placed within one of the tombs. This was believed to have held the brew that ensured their continued service to their master. As Woolley speculates, when the human victims were unconscious or dead, having drunk the fatal drought of opium or hashish, someone had come down and killed the animals and placed the woman's uh, leers... On top of their bodies. Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) So, and then after this, earth was flung in from above and the shaft was filled. Goodness gracious. Mm -hmm. And you think who would do this? Like, what woman would do this? That's a good point. Why? And then I remember that there are serial killers who have all female fan clubs. They do. And they like write him letters and they love him and shit. Oh, yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Yeah, they they think a lot of these like might have been like the king's harem or you know something like that. So um, you know, it's like or it's like his many wives. Yeah, well, I mean, I I would imagine a good amount of those aren't exactly voluntary because if you feel like you have a choice, yeah, (laughs) it's not really voluntary. I mean, they're not asking. Yeah, (laughs) they they just drug them. It's like, yeah, you want to go in? Sure, I'm gonna go in. I care. Imagine their life. They're just like, no, please take me. <laughs> I will go now. That sounds like a great idea. She just, she just like ducks her head in the cauldron. Right? Like, <laughs> I'm 13. I've already had five kids. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so this is, I mean, that's kind of an idea of it not being as brutal. You know, it's sort of like drinking a poison and then they just kind of become unconscious. Right. You know? Oh, but that just, oh man, that's yeah. got to be painful though. Poison is not a, a tell what death. the poison was. Um, it's a possibly mixture of opium and hashish. So um, would you just like fall asleep and yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess if it was strong enough, maybe stop breathing or maybe they just like everybody passed out and they're like, yeah, they're dead and well, just start shoveling. <laughs> well, if it's opium and hash, what you just said, like a couple minutes ago, that doesn't sound so bad. That, that sounds like it could yeah, be pretty cool. Sounds pretty nice. That's what <laughs> sounds I was pretty thinking. groovy. Yeah. <laughs> like there's something more terrible in there. Yeah. yeah. But. Yeah, I imagine it was probably some some mixture because, you know, I mean, it would have to be a lot 
Well, I guess if it's like pure, maybe. Yeah, that's know. true. They're not cutting it with anything, yeah, dog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this poisoning theory was accepted for a while, but recent evidence shows blunt force trauma and even broken necks on some of the victims. Oh. But either way, sacrifice is still the prevailing theory. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we just don't, not too sure. Yeah. She wouldn't die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's a pretty good theory. I mean, that, that's pretty ritualistic with the cauldron and cups per body. Yeah, I mean, it could either be that or it could be like, you know, um, just sort of representative of like a, of a feast or something, you know? Yeah, that's true. So just kind of yeah. not really sure. But let's stay in ancient Mesopotamia for a little longer and we'll turn to another interesting type of sacrifice. So while excavating the sites of Nuzi and Tepe Gaura, I'm I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher a lot of names throughout this episode. So am I. So, yeah, just kind of fair warning. We're trying our best. Anyway, there are two cities in northern Mesopotamia. So they found something interesting and disturbing within the foundations of the buildings. So the remains of... (laughs) The remains of children had been found placed under the floors and within the walls. Oh, yikes. Yeah. So these would be an example of what we would call foundation deposits or construction foundation <laughs> sacrifices. I'm sorry, foundation deposits. <laughs> I had a foundation deposit this morning. <laughs> it was children. <laughs> it was a brown baby boy. I would not have thought that's what that meant if I heard that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> G- generally, uh, constructor foundation sacrifice is the, yeah, the that, more one, but that's, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, these sacrifices served a few different purposes. A new building was sometimes thought to be an intrusion on the domain of a local spirit or a demon, and their anger might be aroused at the presence of mortals, and therefore needed to be appeased. The buried person is not only a peace offering to this local spirit, his soul becomes a protective demon for the building. When the city of Tavoy in the extreme south of Burma was built, an eyewitness was able to testify that a criminal was put into each post hole in order to become a guardian spirit. It's fucking intense. Fuck. <laughs> a post hole. <laughs> One of them's named Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there was kind of this idea of giving an ultimate blessing to the gods or spirits through sacrifice. And what's interesting about the children and their placement is uh, they are often found in liminal places or like thresholds. And those thresholds are often considered hot spots for ritual activity. Um, like doorways? Yeah, doorways, yep, stuff like that. That's, oh, that's creepy. <clears throat> yeah, so the, the infants and young children also being seen as liminal beings between birth and adulthood uh, would have been liminal sacrifices of a sort. So it's, yeah, it's really kind of interesting in that way because they do find them like below doorways or like, you know, within the walls or floors in like certain Ooh. areas. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Hey, you want to come over for dinner Sunday? <laughs> I've just had a new Timmy installed. You yeah. gotta see it. <laughs> a foundation deposit. <laughs> it really opens the room up. <laughs> Ties it together. So infants were found in the walls below the floors and in the doorway of Nuzi. Eleven infants were found placed under the wall in the corner of a room with a vessel inverted over the remains. And here the infants were aged about three to twelve months old. And this is interesting because it indicates a selective process rather than just the random randomness of natural death. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. It's like, how do we not know yeah, that they're not well, children's just be dying? Yeah, and well, I mean, that's a big part of the debate. 
you know, yeah. is, is are these actually just natural deaths? And then they just kind of used them for those purposes or, yeah. or were they sacrificed? Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess if, if they were putting every baby into the foundation, there'd be a lot more babies and foundations and it does there are indicate. A uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it'd be made of babies. <laughs> I, I see what you're saying though, like a selection process because it, it would, there'd just be so many. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> just like these, just form the babies into bricks, you know? <laughs> just like that video game. Did you ever see the one where like the demon was making Oh, the demon wall? babies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's a horrible game, but. I love this fort, but it's just like. <laughs> oh my God. It's a thousand ways. Baby homunculi. <laughs> Some arms coming out of. <laughs> so it wasn't always just infants and children contained in these foundations at tel abu dane i'm hoping to say that right a skeleton was found in a circular pit that was part of the foundations of uh, fortifications its back was against the wall and it was accompanied by several dogs and a young puppy oh you know yeah it's gonna be a lot of dead dogs in this episode the king of dogs so many dead dogs man it says a lot about us. Yeah. Babies find dogs. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's what, you, that's yep. what you all came for. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, uh, but this skeleton found in the foundation of fortification uh, was thought to have been for protective purposes as it was related to the construction of, of the walls that functioned as fortifications. So it was almost thought to like strengthen it in a lot of ways by Ooh. adding these sacrifices into them. Huh. Mm-hmm. That's... Um... The opposite, but sure. <laughs> so um, the dogs and puppies are interesting as they are also found at the Royal Cemetery of Ur and at Tel Um El Mara. Sure, that looks that looks fine. Tel Um El Mara. Yeah, like uh, Tel's like it's a archaeological term. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What 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 is a Tel? Um, actually, I think it means like hill or something like that oh, in okay. Arabic. It's, it's like these. Uh, oh, or maybe Hebrew. It's it's a Semitic language, though. Uh, it's a giant. It's like it's where these people lived for so long in succession groups that the trash becomes this giant hill that the city sits upon. Oh, so it's okay. just a city made of trash. But mm-hmm. that's all old ancient cities. They're all made of trash. And also many I've been to in modern times seem to be made of trash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, because um, a lot of times it'll be trash and also be pe- people just building on top of things over throughout history. And okay. then at some point, it kind of like becomes this hill that contains like these layers of different things. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like man-made mm-hmm. sediment almost. Yeah, you can like date civilizations back through them and stuff. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they take core samples from yeah. things like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Tell core sample. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get on our little imaginary boat and head over to China. Beep, beep, beep. Is this a good time to be doing this section? <laughs> so um, some of the largest instances and in evidence of human sacrifice come from the Shang dynasty from around 1523 to 1028 BC. And we're already banned from China. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh man, these are going to be hard. Okay. So the ancient, ancient site of Yingxi, now the modern-day city of Anyang, was once the capital of the Shang state. And there is the 
Kushibingyong, God, I hope I said that right, cemetery that has thousands of burials, which are believed to be those of human sacrifices. And we see similar types of sacrifices that we saw in Ur, retainer sacrifices especially, as well as the pits. Uh, there were several pits within the larger tombs. Below the coffin of the main burial were pits known as waste pits because they were near the waist of the deceased. And bodies were also filled in above the chamber. Yeah, that's not where I thought that was going. Oh, no? <laughs> yeah, I didn't need <laughs> A little lower. <laughs> this is where his last poop and testament goes. <laughs> right here. Oh, like waste, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's also my crapper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so bodies were also filled in above the chamber on wooden ledges and lining the ramps leading to the king's chamber. And again, we see other animal sacrifices accompanying the dead, especially dogs. A lot of dead dogs. Wow. Yeah. So he just got his beautiful king ramp lined with the bodies of dogs and, and just people. Yeah, <laughs> pretty wow. much. I think it was mostly people lining it. Well, I guess it was kind of a mix. It would be like kind of a mix of that animal and crazy. human sacrifices. Yeah, it's nuts. Can you imagine? Shit, I'm <laughs> stuffed. <laughs> like the people, they're just a row of people and dogs. I'd really leave people going, what the fuck happened here? Yeah, <laughs> right? Also similar to Or, the tombs contain a variety of offerings. Bronze weapons and vessels, jade and turquoise finery, even chariots and horses would accompany the dead. But you didn't come here for treasures. There is an interesting difference between this site and the one at Or, and that is the conditions of the bodies. It seems the kings really liked cutting off heads. 31 skulls were found in one corridor, and 59 headless skeletons and 42 skulls were found in another. And the skulls had been gathered up and placed in a higher layer above the bodies. And um, many were also bound with their arms behind their backs. There were thousands of smaller tombs at the cemetery, and in 52 cases, the skulls had been removed from the bodies. In 209 cases, only the skulls were present. Most of the victims show signs of violence, usually beheadings, but also dismemberment, cutting the body in half, and possibly being buried alive. Goodness gracious. Yeah. It must have been... These seem, dare I say it, less voluntary. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's actually there's speculation that some of these mass uh, some of these bodies were mass grave diggers uh, who were then beheaded or buried alive, so they couldn't divulge to robbers how to enter the chambers to steal the treasures inside. Jesus, mm -hmm. we're a little short staffed today, so I'm afraid you're gonna have to fill in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a crazy insurance policy for yeah, them. No. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, dude. <laughs> so most of the victims were young adults, but there were a few women and children. Uh, the majority of young men, as the written records suggest, may have been slaves or prisoners of war. Um, usually the slaves are brought in from a different, you know, region or something like that. Wow. So unlike Ur, where the textual evidence is scant and almost non-existent, uh, we do actually have records of human sacrifices in China. So the accounts and the number of victims were often recorded on oracle bone inscriptions. Oh, that Ooh. sounds fun. That's like cool. real dark crystal-y. Oracle <laughs> bones. <laughs> Oracle bones, for those of you who are unfamiliar, are inscriptions that are carved on animal bones. In China, they are usually turtle shells or ca uh, cattle scapula. Um, they are essentially records of divination or prophecies. They were used to find out what the ancestors approved of or did not approve of. And this also included how many and what kinds of sacrifices should be performed. So this practice goes back hundreds, maybe thousands of years before the Shang Dynasty, and it was performed in other cultures. But the idea is that once the question was inscribed, they would prod the bone with either a red-hot bronze rod or heat it over fire, and this would cause the bones to crack, which was an indication that the supreme deity had answered the question, and the cracks would determine the answer. Ah, oh, boy. So the Shang King and a small class of diviners were the only ones who could interpret these cracks, and then they would announce the divine mandates to the people. 
Of course. Yeah. Wow, we should just we should just abolish democracy and do that. That sounds great. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so um, this is known in fancy scholarly talk as pyroosteomancy or just pyromancy. I've heard other things too, like scapulomancy and Scap- stuff like okay. that. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's kind of fun. Yeah, it is kind of <laughs> it's Wouldn't fun. that be a fun uh, research design? Like to make stone tools or to make oh, yeah. ancient oh, yeah. bows and arrows. No, we're making like we're doing that. We're, we're summoning the devil from prehistory <laughs> with a bone inscription. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fun craft project. Hmm. <laughs> Christmas presents this one. Christmas presents. Yeah. Oh, Christmas yeah. is coming. Yeah, that's you right. can heat it over your own fire. <laughs> so a couple types of sacrifice are I'm so sorry about these names. Okay. So a couple <laughs> types of sacrifice are called Zunzang and Renji. So Zunzang or burial sacrifice was the practice in which personal slaves and servants of the Shang King were expected to commit ritual suicide or to volunteer themselves to be buried alive alongside their master at death. You didn't see the air quotes there. Yeah. Volunteer. Yeah. So this practice was continued, you know, a long time through Chinese history, but uh, Renji was only done during the Shang dynasty period. It also had the greatest number of people sacrificed. Renji, or human offering sacrifice, functioned as sacrificial prayer to the main deity, Shangdi, to deliver the people from famine during food shortages. Hundreds of captured slaves from outside the Shang domain and prisoners of war were executed, usually by decapitation. The corpses and the severed heads were buried in a mass sacrificial pit or burned in hopes that these would appease the angry Shangdi. And we actually have some inscriptions. Shangdi sounds like an angry DJ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Shangdi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking all y'all to the grave with me. Go get Hands him. there. <laughs> get out of your pits and on your feet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, we actually have some transcriptions from Oracle Bones. Um, Heather, take it away. Beheading. His majesty should behead human sacrifices. Will the spirits approve this? On the day of Yichu, indeed, they performed the sacrifice, and also dissected a cow, splitting the body into halves. Should we split three human sacrifices and two cattle, then offer them to the spirits? Should we split five human sacrifices and three cattle, and then offer them to the spirits? Would you like fries with that? (laughs) Too many choices. (laughs) On dismembering the bodies, should we split tribesmen as a sacrifice for the ancestresses and the others? On chopping to death. In directing the exorcism ritual to the deceased emperor, should we not chopping ten specifically reared ovine, ten captives, and ten piglets, and present them to Fu Yi? What's really getting me is the way you read it is just creeping me the fuck out. It's so matter of fact. Yeah. <laughs> and um, one more. Should we chop 1,000 cattle and 1,000 human sacrifices for sacrifice? <laughs> I'm not nervous. <laughs> <laughs> this or that. Yeah. So I, th- I think we get the picture. But, um, you know, there are more methods stated like burning, beating to death, taking blood, boiling, drowning, exposing and drying, and, of course, burying. It really got their rocks off on that. I mean, it looks like they just want to know, you know, between their choices just and not, be validated. Just not sure. Obviously, they're leaning toward a specific choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, both really bad. Yeah. So that's the worst. 
severance package I've ever heard. <laughs> severance package? <laughs> so let's sail all the way back to the Mediterranean. So this is a really famous case. Um, it is the child sacrifices of Carthage. So many of you might know the Carthaginians from Roman history. The Romans fought Carthage during the Punic Wars from 264 to 146 BC. The Carthaginians are thought to derive from the Phoenicians and the Canaanites. They worshipped a god. Ooh. They worshipped a god known as Baal or Moloch, which required yep required human sacrifices. So this is a widely contested practice, and skeptics believe that the remains of children that were found, sometimes in the hundreds, died due to natural causes. Either way, there are ancient sources who write about this brutal ritual. In some of the sources, they call Baal Kronos or Saturn in Roman, as Baal kind of became identified with Saturn in later centuries. Ah. Yes. Yeah, all of those gods are connected. They're all called something else in a different region. And they yeah, all know exactly, yeah. They would all know them as the same thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. In honor of Baal, who was both sun god and god of fire, the children were rolled down into a fiery pit in the shape of the image of the god. The image itself was known as Moloch. So 6,000 urns were found containing the charred remains of infants. And it wasn't just children that were sacrificed. War captives were also offered up to Baal as a ritual to ensure victory in war. They also uncovered a tuffet, which is basically the place where the victims were consumed in flames. Not like Little Miss Muffet. <laughs> it really Ooh. changes the timber of that home. <laughs> she sat down on a tuffet and, and then she screamed and wailed. <laughs> So um, in this context, Tophet is used in the Old Testament. Um, you will actually find a lot of human sacrifice if you go back to the Old Testament. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, not really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, named for the great noise uh, made from the drums, or tophim, that prevented the fathers from hearing the cries of the children as they burned. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Honey. <laughs> Can you turn up the white noise machine? Yeah. Bang on that drum a little bit harder. Gosh. <laughs> so the Tophet and Carthage stretch several hundred yards in length in a narrow belt along the shores of the harbor. It dates to the foundation of the city, and two of the inscriptions found on the Tophet were identical to the ones of the Canaanites. So that's like a really good indicator that the ritual kind of carried over. So the offerings were supposed to be children of nobility, but many wealthy parents would purchase poor or slave children to burn in the place of their own. I'm sorry, I'm not... I'm sorry, are we talking about now again? <laughs> <laughs> God. So Plutarch, the Greek biographer and historian who became a Roman under the Scipio family, wrote Sounds this. Sounds like a Vulcan. Yeah. <laughs> Plutarch. Plutarch. It's Tuvok's father. Plutarch. <laughs> <laughs> With full knowledge and understanding... They themselves offered up their own children, and those who had no children would buy little ones from poor people and cut their throats, as if they were so many lambs or young birds. Meanwhile, the mother stood by without a tear or moan, but should she utter a single moan or let fall a single tear, she had to forfeit the money, and her child was sacrificed nevertheless. And the whole area before the statue was filled with a loud noise of flutes and drums. They took the cries of wailing and should not reach the ears of the people. So here's another account from Cleotarchus, who was a biographer for Alexander the Great. He wrote in the 4th century BC. His words here are recounted by Plato in uh, the Scolia to Plato's Republic. There stands in their midst a bronze statue of Kronos, its hands extended over a bronze brazier, the flames of which engulf the child. When the flames fall upon the body, 
The limbs contract and the open mouth seems almost to be laughing until the contracted body slips quietly into the brazier. Thus, it is that the grin is known as sardonic laughter, since they die laughing. And Cleotarchus and others say that in Carthage, during great prayers, they place a boy in the hands of Cronus. A bronze statue is set up with outstretched hands, and under it a baking oven, and then put under fire. The boy shrunk by the fire seems to laugh. You can find Heather at nannies.com <laughs> for, for your little ones. Hire her. <laughs> so many think, and maybe not wrongly, that this was a bit of embellishment or propaganda that the Romans used to justify wiping out Carthage. But before we believe that this is all just falsehoods, uh, know that Phoenicians also practice human sacrifice, so it isn't a far stretch to believe that the practice carried over to Carthage. And I think also that evidence of charred bodies is pretty... You know. mm, that's compelling. Yeah, I'd say to so. To say the least. My goodness. Yeah. That is, that is fucking brutal. <laughs> oh, Dude. man. You know how, like, your mom threatened you when you're not acting right? <laughs> that's a big... You want to get thrown in the pit? <laughs> right? That's a step above picking a switch. I'll yeah, tell you no that. <laughs> wow. So, let's briefly stay in Africa and let's move to the West. Many of us have heard stories of human sacrifice, cannibalism, witchcraft that sometimes rears its head, um, even in our modern times. Uh, the line between human sacrifice and killing for magical purposes is blurry at times in these cases. And I'll make a leap and say that even though these killings are done for magical benefits to the practitioner directly, uh, it usually is usually to some higher authority or to gain a source of power. Maybe not a god, but something very close to it. So I feel okay kind of adding it in here. Okay. Where are we again? Where'd we get on the boat to? We're on West Africa. <laughs> so it must be noted that human sacrifice did take place in Africa. We have written records from Europeans who came to colonize Africa, but these should be met with a great amount of skepticism and dubious indignation. Because uh, though they weren't always write out lies... Uh, these accounts were often embellished and fabricated, and they often used these to justify the Atlantic slave trade and European conquest of Africa. As one English apologist wrote about the rituals in Africa, it is evident that the <laughs> it is evident that abundance of captives taken in war should be inhumanly destroyed. Was there not an opportunity of disposing of them to the Europeans, so that at least many lives are saved and a great number of useful persons kept in being? Oh, the British. Yep. <laughs> so essentially what's being said here is that if they did not take the slaves, the Africans would just kill them and sacrifice. So essentially they're doing God's work by enslaving them and in turn saving lives. That, yep, that was, mm -hmm. their, that was their spiel yep. everywhere. Doing so, yeah. God's work. Yep. Don't mind yeah. us. So, Should have told me that before. Yeah, I know. So yeah, they said the goal was to stop these barbaric practices of human sacrifice. And of course, we see the hypocrisy in this, and in just a little bit, the Europeans will have their turn in our little tour of human sacrifice. So the truth is that sacrifices were practiced in Africa, and has, as we have seen before, many go willingly. As Robin Law, a professor and historian of West Africa, writes, In West Africa, people were killed not so much as offerings to a deity, but in order to carry messages to the deity on behalf of the sacrificing community. There also seems no great difficulty in West Africa, of killing someone as a substitute for a sick person to preserve him from death, since the rationale appears to be that the sickness is caused by a deity or spirit who is placated by the offer of a substitute, and the practice can therefore be seen as a special form of propitiatory sacrifice. So, in Asante, which is a kingdom state, they executed criminals at major religious festivals. 
While we might think of these as public executions rather than human sacrifices, like the yearly execution of murderers of Britain, where the uh, criminals were kept for a specific day to be hung in London. Hmm. <laughs> oh, the British. Yeah. <laughs> so, but there is an element of re- religiosity that should be noted. The executed, the executed criminals were believed to make up a servant class in the afterlife and were still regarded as messengers or offerings to the gods or a deceased king. So one of the earliest references made to human sacrifice in West Africa was made by a writer in the 10th century. He mentions passively, it seems, that female slaves were sacrificed at at the funerals of wealthy men. He mentions specifically the ancient kingdom of Ghana. And a few more sources in the 11th and 14th century mention servants, family members, and friends, and even children being buried alive at the funerals of kings. Oh, man. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Yeah, this, this practice is mentioned many times through the centuries and by bunch of different sources everything says i'm the king i'm the big guy like murdering a bunch of women and children got my big book paint on burying them alive (laughs) burying them alive and listening to their screams like that is some flexing dude like oh my god flexing on the afterlife what's up (laughs) got more bodies than you don't damn so One archaeological find does actually support this. Oh my god, that's what it is. They're just sitting there in the afterlife like, got more bodies than you. What's up with that, dog? Uh, you only got 20 kids? Huh? Oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. I got 40. I got 40. Yeah. They scream the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Everybody heard it. Yeah. Heard it for three kingdoms. <laughs> oh, they only heard it for two for you? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you're little, you're little pussy, pussy grave. God, it's, it's a pissing contest into the afterlife. Pretty much, yeah. Who can piss into the clouds? <laughs> God. So, um, yeah, there is actually archaeological evidence to support this, though. Uh, one instance was a tomb that was excavated. It was found that it was lavish lavishly furnished with finery and is presumably the tomb of a king or a chief uh it's been dated to the 9th century and it contained the body of five or more i'm sure there were a bunch of different bones but uh, five or more individuals along with the king and they appear to have been slaves that were sacrificed at the funeral i'm surprised he let his bones touch their bones that is just (laughs) gross yeah (laughs) my goodness so uh also in asante at the annual yam festival uh, yeah. which involved over 100 deaths a year, and the monthly Day uh, festival, over 70 people were killed on one occasion in 1820. So, it, uh, yeah, these went on, like, up until the 20th century. Holy yeah. shit. So these were criminals? A lot of times they were criminals, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it has been said that these numbers could reach grand scales, as the funeral of an Asante king in 1809 is said to have been marked by the sacrifice of no less than 3,000 human victims, and over 2,000 of them were prisoners of war. Goodness gracious. Yep. So these practices... Wow. Yeah, it's fucking... Well, how do you kill that many people during a festival? Very efficiently. My God. Yeah. It's like, you have to, like, assemble a team, mm-hmm. like, with their hard hats, you know? Like, all right, guys, this is what we're going to do. I mean, are they building, like, these rock clubs? Are they... Uh, I'm just... Probably, like, I mean... From what we've seen in, like, other ancient sites of, like, violent deaths and stuff, um, sometimes they were just, like, mass executions, so it was just, like, a bunch of soldiers just, like, you know, line people up, just, like, clop, 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 just, like, fucking go down a line. Kind of like you see with the Nazis and stuff, doing, like, yeah. lining people up and shooting, you know, shooting in the back of the head. It's just like utter chaos, though, like, and I assume there's, like, a lack of firearms or explosives in this. I oh, mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Jesus. Well, yeah, probably as it went on later, um, they they got guns. Yeah, I mean, during that's the only European, way you can do it. Well, you know, European colonialization, like, uh, they got their guys, hands on guns. Guys, can we have a break? My club and arms, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, I used to think I could club another child. Yeah, right that's a lot of clubbing. I couldn't even club a little kid. <laughs> so, um, yeah, these sacrifices were done privately, generally in the presence of royalty or in a public demonstration. Uh, the killing of prisoners of war were done at these royal funerals, but also offered to the gods to ensure their success in war and to stave off disasters. But this theme of killing at royal funerals also serves as a kind of ancestor worship. It's kind of a sacrifice to the great ancestors of the royalty. Do you think that, like, the gods are like, like, it, it's like your cat bringing you a dead thing? They're like, <laughs> oh, thanks. Probably. Do you uh, another one? Aww. <laughs> this time you tore its head off and left it on my pillow. That's just, that's so nice of you. Thank you. <laughs> he brought you a present. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my humans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, the ancestor and, and royalty sacrifices, it's pretty much a common thread that we see in many accounts of sacrifices in West Africa. But I did read an interesting argument that European colonialism was to blame for the uptick in sacrifices in the 17th and 19th century. Um, so as Europeans came in and enriched chiefs who could procure them slaves, um, it helped to increase the power of these chiefs. And as a royalty and prestige grew, so did the need to have larger, more lavish ceremonies, which, of course, necessitates more victims. Um, this, you know, is an arguable point, but I don't know. I thought it was pretty Yeah, those, uh, interesting. those Confederate flag-waving jackasses, uh, one of the points they like to make is that, well, those African kingdoms sold their people. Like, oh. that was, like, like that makes it okay. <laughs> yeah. Well... Yeah, it's like, well, it's like, okay, either you get me slaves or I kill you and everybody else. Yeah. Like, it's like, hmm. Or just standing there with a smallpox blanket like, say what again? <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it's always, there is no choice. It's not asking ever. It's uh, Yeah, it's like, yeah, there's no choice. Unless you're, no. of course, you're, you're Charles Koch and you believe that people should have the right to sell themselves into slavery. <laughs> I mean, it's America, right? It's America. It's my buddy. <laughs> do what I want. Do what I want. I know a lot of this is ancient history. It's just infuriating, like how barbaric and just... Oh, yeah, dude. Off the wall it is. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. I guess that's how you learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't think we did. <laughs> nope. This is the skinned knee of humanity. This is us learning how to ride a bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so before we leave Africa, there is one ritual that I just could not not put in here. So we mentioned this idea of killing for magical power, uh, which benefits the participants directly. And there are stories of people making medicines out of human victims or cannibalism to invigorate the strength of a warrior, like eating the heart. Uh, but one form of ritualistic sacrifice and cannibalism was done by the leopard societies. Um, they were done in what's modern day Sierra Leone, Liberia, and along the Ivory Coast. So they were secret societies where the members imitated the activities of leopards and met in secret in the forests. Oh my god, they're leopard larpers? Leopard larpers! <laughs> before, it seems, before it seems too cute, let's see. Yeah, hold oh on. no. <laughs> so they would kill and eat human victims. <laughs> well, it's pretty authentic. <laughs> it's what would happen if larpers just went over the edge, you know, just like, <laughs> stop taking their medication. <laughs> Mom didn't love me, I'm good. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's said that they would sometimes wear the skins of leopards and uh, would be kind of become a magical force incarnate. See, I'm really um, into this. <laughs> I, I want to join this club. They would, yeah, they would cease to be mere mortals and become something like a god, like a living god. Oh. So hmm. this became such a fear and problem that there was even a piece of legislation passed in 1895. Ordinance number 15, the Human Leopard Ordinance. (laughs) (laughs) So in this they stated, Whereas many murders have been committed by men so dressed as to resemble leopards and armed with a three-pronged knife, commonly known as a leopard knife. (laughs) So the members of these societies were attempting to obtain something called Borfema, which is a special medicine that was made from the white of an egg, the blood of a cock, and a few grains of rice. What kind of cock? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's less severe. Yeah. <laughs> but the key elements were human fat and blood, which would be only be obtained by a strange and elaborate ritual. So they would then keep the medicine more. It's really more of a charm, really, in a tight leather bag that they carried around with them. It was supposed to work as a protective charm and also one that would bring great fortune and power to the possessor. And the ritual is described by Gary Hoags in his book on cannibalism. And I'll kind of take the first part, and then I'll let you take the uh, creepy part. Sounds good. Great. I can't. I can't not imagine these guys trying to convince this judge. They're like, "No, we need the body parts for our leopard salve. We need <laughs> it." Leopard salve. How am I ever going to be a real leopard? I don't understand. <laughs> and the judge is just sitting there, like, "Eh." <laughs> Leopard people, what? <laughs> no. And then the guy's just like, <laughs> just clawing at the walls. Oh my word, that sounds atrocious. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I'll read the first part of the ritual, and then I'll let you take the the cool part. Okay. <laughs> so the victim had to be a freeborn girl, as opposed to a slave or captive, and over fourteen years old. Oh, that's Preferably, nice. she should be the eldest child of a family who provided her. The initiation into leopard society was a really complicated ceremony, and the initiate the initiate had to produce a sacrificial victim from his own family or his wife's family. In later years, a man or a boy could be used, but a girl was preferred. This sounds like some Keith Raniere bullshit. Oh, dude, you just just wait. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. <laughs> Once they had their victim, the human leopards retired to the forest, and all through the night would roam about imitating the animal's roar. (laughs) This roaring had to be kept up during the whole period from the naming of the victim until her death, during which she was too expected to roar. The man who did the killing bore the special name of Yongolado. The other members wore their leopard insignias and brandished their own leopard knives. The victim had by this time been sent forth on her eerie quest, walking alone on a particular track leading to the forest, as a prelude to capture and sacrifice, which had to take place in darkness. The leopard men watched and waited on both sides of the track. After the victim had passed the first leopard man, the silence was broken by a deep-throated growl. Give us the girl. (laughs) (laughs) The young Galato leaped from his hiding place, sprang onto the girl's back like a leopard, and with lightning movement tore open her throat. They then carry the body off deeper into the woods and throw it onto the ground. The head was hacked off, and the liver, heart, and entrails torn out. The liver was examined for signs that the body would make a good brew of Borfima. The corpse was then divided into four quarters, which were carved up, wrapped in banana leaves, 
and given to all present. The face was cut away so that the uninitiated could never recognize the remains. So this practice, yeah, dude, looking nuts. So this practice varied, but this was one of the more common uh, forms of the practice. And while this might not be considered human sacrifice in the way that we've seen it so far, I feel mighty fine considering it a form as it works to imbue the young Galato and the society with supernatural powers. Again, becoming something like a living god. And I'm sure some would argue this point with me, but fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, the definition of human sacrifice is it's really broad and can be really hazy at times. So it's sometimes it's hard to really delineate like what... It's I don't know what else you'd call that. Yeah, I, that's, that's what I would the, call it, you know. Yeah, I the mean, ritual killing for a... Well, some scholars say, like, if it isn't to, like, a specific, like, deity or god, it's not so much. It You know, there's just a lot of debate. Well, it's like sacrifice for, like, <laughs> empowerment to oneself, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and that, I think that supernatural element is, um, yeah, you know, yeah, I think that's sure. a lot. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. you're trying to become a leper to... You gotta do some crazy shit. <laughs> Anthropology has what they call lumpers and splitters. Oh, so yeah. So there's always these minds dissecting all this information, deciding whether it should be lumped together or split apart or something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like you don't have enough information, but they're still trying to lump it, split it. <laughs> it's like, I need to write this scholarly paper. What can I argue against? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, whiteies, it's our turn. Woo! <laughs> so we're going to head over to Northern Europe. So there are many... The birthplace of the whiteies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Getting on a boat. So there are many instances and writings about um, Northern European human sacrifices, and they vary in their methods and brutality. One famous method written by the Romans, go figure, is the burning of victims in a giant wicker man. Wicker man. Yeah, wicker man. The bees. (laughs) Not the bees. The burning man of Europe. (laughs) Kind of was. (laughs) So uh, Caesar described it briefly in his accounts of the Gaelic Wars, along with the Gauls' proclivities for human sacrifice. The nation of all the Gauls is extremely devoted to superstitious rites. And on that account, they who are troubled with unusually severe diseases, and they who are engaged in battles and dangers, either sacrifice men as victims, or vow that they will sacrifice them, and employ the Druids as the performers of those sacrifices, because they think that unless the life of a man being offered for the life of a man, the mind of the immortal gods cannot be rendered propitious, and they have sacrifices of that kind ordained for national purposes. Others have figures of vast size, the limbs of which formed of osiers they fill with living men, which being set on fire, the men perish enveloped in the flames. They consider that the oblation of such, as have been taken in theft, or in robbery, or in any other offense, is more acceptable to the immortal gods. But when a supply of that class is wanting, they have recourse to the oblation of even the innocent. Julius Caesar. (laughs) So there are other accounts from Romans who all seem appalled by the various practices of human sacrifice by the Gauls. Really, he seemed a little turned on. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty rad. Um, But of course, we know the Romans had their own gruesome practices and rituals. But since the state and religion were intertwined, they seemed to mask their barbarity for stately duties. And unlike the Romans, the Celts and the Germanic tribes did not leave us any written records. So we only have these stories and the archaeological evidence to go on. So many of you have probably heard of the bog men or bog people. Sure have. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I just watched a thing on YouTube a couple weeks ago about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, su- yeah, super famous. Um, so all across Europe, preserved body parts and even entire human bodies have been found within the bogs, peats, fens, and mosses of these butter. different areas. Don't forget the butter. Oh, the butter, yep. <laughs> They're all buttered up. <laughs> so due to the violent nature of the deaths and injuries, many believe these to be the victims of human sacrifice. The lack of oxygen at the bottom of the bogs helps to preserve these bodies remarkably well. So on some of them, we can see their facial features and even some have beard stubble. It's really fucking creepy. It's, it's amazing. It's yeah. like, wow. <laughs> yeah. If you've ever seen them, go go look online. It's it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know that there's one where um, they think she was blonde and the side of her head that like one side of her head was shaved and the other side uh, that was blonde was like made red by the, the bog minerals. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? Yeah. It's crazy. That would have been fucking terrifying yeah. to just come yeah. across. <laughs> Good. <laughs> just trudging through the bog. And like, oh. Oh, what's this? <laughs> oh, God. So uh, some of these bodies are thought to go back to the Celtic Iron Age or the pre-Roman Age, it's around 500 BC. Uh, so der- And some even go back later. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to date them in a lot of ways. Like they find a lot of difficulties with it, but yeah. you know they but they also look for like what was found with the body and stuff like that. Right. So during this period, though, uh, cremation was the, was the preferred method of body disposal. So these bog peoples and their unique deaths and disposals show them to have had some sort of special role in their societies, and we find similarities between many of the cases of bog people um, that have been found uh, all throughout the years. Um, so it's it's kind of like we can see sort of a ritual kind of coming out from these different ones. Okay. So for one thing, they show signs of trauma, uh, binding, stabbing, hanging, strangulation, decapitation, blows to the head, and throat cutting. And those are just a few examples. That's a list. Yeah. <laughs> so while there's no consensus on the nature of these brutal killings, whether they have re- religious connotations, uh, the similarities do denote some kind of ritual. Whether these are religious sacrifices or some other means of disposal, we have to kind of look at the different cultural implications to get close to the truth. So it is interesting that the Romans did write about the Gauls hacking their sacrificial victims to pieces or bludgeoning them to death or hanging them. And as we'll see with these bog bodies, there are there are some correlations to these stories. So it's kind of, you know, where you would think about Romans would use it as propaganda. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes the textual evidence does bear out in the physical evidence. I see. So one of the earliest examples comes from Denmark, uh, known as Queen Gunhild. Oh. Yeah. Gunhild. Gunhild. Uh, She was found in 1834. Carbon dating puts her at around 490 BC. So she was about 40 years old and was found with a leather cape and some other textiles. Uh, They were found associated with her, so we don't know if she was naked, as many bog people found are. Mm. Um, but sometimes they think their clothes might just deteriorate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Underwater. Mm-hmm. But the trauma shows that she was nailed to the ground of the bog with poles and stakes, which left these deep grooves in on her arms and legs. Ugh. And another groove on her neck points to her being strangulated, which is presumably the cause of death. And also the burnt bones of a child were also were found next to her. That's crazy that the, the marks remained, like, especially the strangulation marks, because you f- think that, like... With the bloating of a body mm-hmm. in a body of water, it's that would remove because of the anaerobic conditions, nothing happens. Like they probably were naked because even some of them have been found with like the ropes around their necks and right. hats and stuff, and uh, like it wouldn't deteriorate. They were probably stripped. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another <clears throat> thing they found on a lot of them were, were uh, was their heads were shaved. Um, like a particularly women too. It's like a pretty common uh, thing found on a lot of the bodies. Wow. Mm-hmm. It used to be. It was. I heard that it was a common punishment for adultery to shave the side of her head and drag her down the street. Oh, um, well, okay. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. And you know it only matters when a woman does it. So. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So another of the most famous bog people was also found in Denmark, the Tolland Man. So, yeah, he's probably the most famous. Tolland Man. <laughs> so, <laughs> he had a hat and a rope. Hey, look out, it's Tolland Man. <laughs> it's a Rush song. Yeah, right. <laughs> I want that episode of South Park. Where he's just, just like clacking, clacking down the street in the hat naked. <laughs> like a marionette. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, this body has been dated to around the 4th or 3rd century B.C., and he, he was found complete and preserved. Uh, his skin had turned black, but his facial features uh, were are really well preserved. Yeah. Um, so he was about 30 years old and found wearing a pointed cap, a hide belt, and a leather rope around his neck. So he seemed to have died from hanging or like a ground strangulation, kind of like a ground hanging, I guess, just pulling the rope. And uh, <laughs> the careful positioning of the body, which was placed on its side with its legs bent upwards in kind of a fetal position shows that he was not just thrown into the bog all willy-nilly, but done with some respect. Was he the one that um, started to deteriorate so badly after they took him out that they had to, like, make a, a casting of him and that's what's on display now? That might be. I didn't, I didn't read that, but... I know that a couple of them had to have... Like, they have to be put in such a high-tech stasis thing that you yeah. can't even look at them with light right? yeah like the light uh, deteriorates i think Otzi, the, yeah, he, the same thing happened like they had they basically keep them in like this really sophisticated cooler basically like, yeah. <laughs> and so, nobody gets to see it yeah, yeah, nobody yeah. gets in to see the great owls not yeah. nobody not know how <laughs> <laughs> so in germany one of the most gruesome bodies was discovered called the uh boy Housen. Housen boy. Housen boy. He was around seven years old and placed in a bog in northwestern Germany during the 4th century BC. A lot of these are actually from around that the same time. time period. <laughs> yeah, 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 you found a lot of them. Um, so he had been elaborately bound with a piece of textile around his neck and in a line down the front of his body, between his legs and around the back of his body up to the neck. So it's kind of like a loop, like a little loop. Mm. And the hands were bound on the back in the process, and his ankles were also tied together. Like hot hog tied basically uh kind of similar yeah it kind of made it easy to pick him up like a suitcase <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> so he had actually been stabbed three times in the neck and once in the left arm mm. so it's it's yeah they they show this diagram of it it's it fucking brutal sad Aww. it looks so sad yeah poor baby yeah so in ireland they found a, the body of a man that dates back to the fourth century bc as well called the Cloney Cabin Man. Well, he's the Cloney Cabin Man. <laughs> <laughs> so he was actually damaged by a peat digging machine, by, by peat digging machinery during a digging operation. Oh, yeah. Did they, they just... find peat? <laughs> that his I name? hope so. <laughs> they probably <laughs> joked about that so hard, you know. <laughs> should we call him Pete? <laughs> should we name him Pete? <laughs> well, should we name him Pete? <laughs> But they discovered that he had been killed by a series of fatal blows to the head and chest, and possibly by an axe. Uh, he also had a long cut on his abdomen, which is thought to have been uh, from disembowelment. So one archaeologist in Ireland believes that this sacrificial killing 
as many of the bog bodies are found in Ireland, had to do with county borders, which have ancient origins. So the sacrifices were thought to be related to kingship and the making of these borders. And this, again, kind of shows a liminality as the placements of the bodies um, are kind of on these borders between these different kingdoms. Wow. Yeah, and the bodies are also placed in a bog between land and water, which is also sort of like this liminal space as well. That's crazy. That's like like a dog marking its its like path on its walk. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but you you just put dead bodies That's on your borders. So cling on. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> How are we going to mark this border and put a dead guy there? <laughs> <laughs> so, there are over 700 examples of bog bodies. So, they found a lot. Wow. Yeah, and probably we'll find more, you know, as the years goes on. Yeah. And m- many of them show these similarities and but there is no real pattern to the victims. Uh, they could be male, female, sick, well, old, or young. Um, it really kind of didn't matter. We do know that there was an understanding of the properties of the bogs by the kind of ancient Celts and Germanic tribes. Also, the way they do it, it kind of shows this de- deliberation that is unlike just throwing a body into a bog. It's interesting that in many of the cases, the bodies were placed in ancient peat diggings or natural hollows. And from folklore and even some Roman writings, we know that the Celtic and Germanic tribes, um, bogs were seen as sacred, mystical, and liminal places. And this is backed up by little totems or offerings that are found with many of the bodies. So these places were also treacherous to get to, which makes their careful placement even more intriguing. Hmm. So before we move on to our last destination, though. Yes. What's up? Okay. So I mentioned butter at the beginning. Yeah. So one of the reasons we know that they knew the preserving aspects of the bog was that they used to keep butter in there and it turned into this weird bog cheese butter that was apparently really potent. I, I, I read that, yeah. Wow. And, and they, they'd done that since antiquity, so we know that they knew but putting the bodies in there, they would preserve them. So it's kind of interesting that you said that they were supposed to be like landmarkers. Um, there are other religions where you bury like a totem or something like that. As a, as a way of marking your land, like, spiritually. Mm-hmm. Even, like, even modern Catholics have a little have a little statue guy that they bury in oh. their backyard for, for stuff like that. Yeah. So maybe they're something like that. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd say that's, I think a lot of people kind of have that, um, you know, they speculate that a lot. I think that's a pretty common, you know, thread. Yeah. Um, and it's also because it's interesting because, you know, like I said before, where it's difficult to get to the bogs and kind of like sometimes treacherous. Mm-hmm. It's also the bodies are placed very carefully, but they would also tie them down or do something to kind of push them down into right. the bog. Like sometimes like using branches or like stakes to keep them like fixed to yeah. it and sink down. So, yeah, I mean, there's like we see this careful deliberation and consideration for placing the bodies in the bog, which wow. is just, you know, it's not just like an execution, just like, whoa, throw them in the bog. You <laughs> know? them in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, Interesting. Be- yeah. Before we move on to our last destination, I want to give a couple of fun ways of human uh, of European human sacrifice. <laughs> so there's no evidence for these, like the bog bodies, but they're pretty fun and worth noting nonetheless. So the Teutons, <laughs> or the Teutons, as... <laughs> Teutons. The Teutons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. oh yeah, the Teutons. 
We're adults. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're in our 30s. <laughs> so the Tetons practice uh, foundation sacrifices as well and enclose children's bodies within the masonry of new buildings and also within the dikes um, along the seacoast. And this was thought to help keep the people safe from the waves. Makes perfect sense. Oh, absolutely. The Burgundians drank the blood of their slain foes to gain more valor and power in battle. Uh. The Norsemen had several kinds of sacrifice, often performed before a sea voyage to guard against the storms at sea caused by sea demon. They sacrificed people to a sea god, and if the bad weather delayed a voyage, well, a few more sacrifices never hurt. Yeah. If there were no victims available, those going on the journey would draw lots, and the loser would become the sacrificed. (laughs) Just seems like whatever culture, they all knew the sea god was a dick. (laughs) <laughs> yeah he always is a dick too dude like <laughs> Poseidon is such an asshole yeah, yeah. he really is <laughs> so yeah you want to take this viking one yeah the vikings like the polynesians bound victims to the rollers over which a new ship slipped into the sea and reddened its keel with human blood Fuck, dude. these sea better than fam- a bottle of champagne <laughs> <laughs> that kind of is the viscosity we need the viscosity <laughs> <laughs> lubing the, the keel yeah. lubing the keel oh jeez <laughs> Is the one in Denmark called Lupinkiel? <laughs> These seafaring raiders even indulged in torture. They would cut the bloody eagle on the back of a Christian captive while he was alive, and through this incision the vital parts were drawn out. The whole act combining sacrifice and revenge. <laughs> yeah, Tufer. dude, that keel thing, man, it's just like... That is fucking crazy dude yeah i just like trying to imagine it like tied down to the thing and then just like the boat just fucking like squishes you yeah and just like like oh dude you just yeah i wonder if anybody survived that if there was one guy who's just wedged in between two fat guys and he made it and he didn't want to make it (laughs) i'm not dead like no just just let the tide come in i don't want to live anymore slippery guts that's (laughs) crazy man so on to our last destination. These are the most famous and the ones that almost everybody knows in some way or another. So let's get on our little boat and head over to South America. <laughs> so we've all at one time or another um, have seen the images of brutal human sacrifices in Mesoamerica. From humans having their hearts torn out of their chests to bodies and heads being thrown down the long pyramid steps. And these often had large audiences watching, sometimes in fear, but also to cheers. <laughs> and not only do we see these depicted on reliefs, um, but we also see the writing. We also see them in the writings of Spanish conquistadors. Um, generally, they never saw the rituals, but they sometimes they would talk to locals and stuff like that. And there was obviously they were still doing it at the time as well. Yes, that sounded perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to see it, but it sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> so the Aztecs are probably the most famous uh, for these kinds of rituals. Mesoamerica contained a number of different cultures: the Olmecs. So Zapotecs, Maya, Tia T Huacan. Tia Nice. Sorry, I'm I'm horrible. Uh the Toltecs and the Aztecs, just uh, among some of the bigger ones. So due to the wealth of archaeological, osteological, iconography, and rec- written accounts, we know more about human sacrifice in Mesoamerica than any other culture. And we see an array of different types. We see ascension rituals, construction and termination rituals, the famous ball games, and deaths of high-marking, uh, high-ranking individuals. So, at the site of Teotihuacan, 
Nailed it. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Which is uh, northeast of Mexico City. The remains of human sacrifices have been found at the famous Feathered Serpent and Moon Pyramids. So at the Moon Pyramid, 37 human victims, dating back to 250 BC, were found in the construction of the pyramid, making it a grand case of construction sacrifice. Uh, they also found offerings, and the bodies had uh, trauma as well, sometimes scraping or cut marks on the back of the skulls. Uh. Yep. So in another of the nearby pyramids, they also found a number of human bodies within the construction. Many had their hands behind their backs, and their legs were close together, signifying bondage. At the Feathered Serpent Pyramid, which was constructed around 200 CE, but they usually did it in layers, so it probably even goes back longer. Mm-hmm. But 137 men and women were found in the foundations and construction of the pyramid. So what's interesting about these construction sacrifices is the placement of the bodies. And we'll kind of see like this sophistication with them, like that we don't see in other places. So the bodies are placed in significant locations that not only work with the building's design, for instance, a burial in this in each corner of the pyramid, but we also might have um, astronomical and calendar concerns when taken into the placement of the bodies. So another interesting note has to do with the numbers. In one of the graves, 20 male soldiers with all their weaponry were found. And the Mayan word for war and warrior is the same as 20. Ah, huh. interesting. Yeah. And in other graves, they show references to numbers that form subsets that relate to the 260-day calendar. So it's like really this, like, a lot is taken into account and considered when placing these bodies and doing them, you know, like uh, mathematically too, which is just really interesting. We don't see that in a lot of places. Right. And, and that's pretty consistent with their culture mm -hmm. anyway. It's, yeah. Yeah. They're really deliberate and numerical. So we also see with the placements of the bodies, um, a concern for the protection of the pyramid. Many of the bodies were placed with their heads pointing towards the center of the pyramid and their faces turned outwards away from it, um, kind of as if they're watching and guarding. So these construction sacrifices seem to be connected to the ascension of a new ruler, as well as blessing the building. In Mayan iconography, we see bloodletting was also important to this ritual. Both men and women would perform the act of bloodletting on themselves. Women would pierce their tongues and run a rope or cloth through it to shed more blood. <laughs> and oh, no. men would pierce their penises. Oh, no. oh shit. Yeah. So a room in the House of Eagles was discovered to have large amounts of blood staining the floors. And so it's thought that this room was actually designed specifically for this ritual. Holy fuck, dude. That's metal as shit. Yeah, dude. Oh, my dude. God. Mm. Fucking intense. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so oh I think God. we all know of the ball game played by the Aztecs and the Maya. Um, it's sort of like modern day soccer in a lot of ways. Oh. But uh, there is evidence that shows that in some cases, the losing team would be sacrificed as a possible reenactment of warfare. Um, and you see this on a bunch of reliefs and stuff. Uh, so the great ball court of Chichen Itza shows a relief depicting a ball player being decapitated with seven snakes coming out of its head. The supposed winner and sacrificer holds the loser's head and um, appears to be holding a, an obsidian blade as well. So it's also speculated that heads were used as balls on occasion. So oh, there's really no evidence to show God. that. <laughs> it's fucking Halloween town. <laughs> so another famous example of sacrifice is the construction of skull racks. So these are often associated with ball courses. Racks on racks on racks. <laughs> dude, they're fucking righteous, dude. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it reminds me of the, the uh, hangman from Robin Hood Men in Tights being like, what are you about, 13, 13 and a half? Oh, yeah. like, <laughs> measuring all their heads. Yeah. Oh, man. So, um, yeah, these skull racks are often associated with the ball courts. Um, at Chichen Itza, on the east side of the ball court, 
Over 2,400 human skulls on poles are carved onto the sides of the structure. So these are just carvings, um, but there were actually two real skulls uh, were contained within the relief. But they found a bunch of fragments of skulls around it. So they think that the fragments in the relief suggest that skulls may have been placed on poles and displayed along the road, kind of entering the court. Oh, so they're just switching up their decoration every once mm -hmm. in a while. Yep. Oh, that's nice. At another Aztec site, um, 170 real skulls were arranged neatly near the pyramid. I think and modern football players look like bitches. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think you're hard? <laughs> oh, you got a concussion? Oh, oh, so oh. The <laughs> So the skulls here show signs of decapitation, skinning, and defleshing, and large holes in the sides, which is presumed to have been from where they strung them up on horizontal poles, oh kind of making the racks. Like an abacus? Yeah, exactly, exactly <laughs> like an abacus. So That'll teach me some math. Yeah, right? <laughs> right? I finally understand the concepts of math. Can you I go now? <laughs> you won't soon forget it, that's for sure. <laughs> there people knew fucking math, though. Oh, yeah, yeah no, they did, man. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> just saying skull abacus that would, that, that would be a sweet app like abacus again it's a bunch of skulls <laughs> so um but this connection with the ball game and the skulls um might also be in a reenactment of a myth um called the hero twins hero twins <laughs> <laughs> they went to the underworld and played the game with the underworld gods each day they were forced to play again and had to out with the gods in order to survive so, yeah, I mean, that's just probably might be where it comes from in that whole, like, survive, almost like a game of survival in a lot of ways. Yeah, know? I mean, that sounds like a impossibly more twisted version of uh, Grimm's fairy tales. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so also in Chichen and in some of the neighboring cities, priests would throw maidens into wells, known as cenotes, to act as messengers to the gods. Ramon Pinachan a Mexican archaeologist. I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> he uh, So he drained one of these cenotes in the late 60s, and he found a bunch of skeletons of adults and children. Um, and he also found a platform from where it's believed that they were cast down from. Yep. And this actually was a similar thing that was done in a, um, someplace in Africa, too. Like, uh, they showed this picture of, like, these dudes holding up other, like, sacrificial victims in, like, these big bowls. And then they would just like dump them into like this like thing. <laughs> Bone soup. <laughs> Jello de Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but we see with the Spanish in Mesoamerica the same thing that we saw with the Europeans in Africa. The Spanish were appalled by the rituals and saw it as their holy duty to stamp out the practices. Fucking and finally. And how, how long ago was it where they were doing the same shit? Oh, yeah. It's is it the same time it's or is it like the, slightly after? It's coming from the same people who allowed the Inquisition into Spain. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. But we'll save that for another episode. Well, I'm, yeah. They're just like, oh, that's just so barbaric. You didn't do it for Christ. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Essentially, yeah. It's, it's yeah. like, it's, yeah, if they had done it for Christ. I wonder if it would have been, you know, a big problem. Yeah. So, Ugh. but but these are, but we need to keep these in consideration though, because um, there is obviously propaganda and stuff like that. But I mean, we, we can find kernels of truth in them. But some of the, you know, yeah. Good. Yes. <laughs> Nothing. Just, just, uh, there's just so many weird accounts from the Spanish about South America. I'm mm. not like that colonel 
Wow, is it? It's tiny. It's but... uh, tiny and wrapped in so much shit. <laughs> yeah. It's a shit-wrapped kernel. Yeah, I mean, it, what, whatever writings that we could have had from the Aztecs, um, the Spanish sought out to destroy almost all yeah. of them. Yeah, uh, But some of these writings uh, were discovered in smaller cities and towns, um, and they're known as codexes. So these, or that's what they're called now. But uh, these codexes were usually made from the bark of a fig tree and kind of folded, like uh, often like an accordion. Oh. And uh, so, and on them were painted figures and scenes that kind of cover both front and back. So it's kind of like pictorial writings. Yeah, like, like hieroglyphs. Yeah, yeah, probably similar in a way. Like they tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Spanish saw these writings um, as the writings of the devil. <laughs> uh, bringing the devil, devil into it. Devil, 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 devil. But there were some, usually friars, who tried to decipher the writings and they would go around talking to the locals about their practices. Usually it was to try to like bolster the claim that they should be outlawed, but some actually were just fascinated by it. Right. So one Fray Bernardino de Sahongwon. Sahongwon. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, So he labored to compile accounts from Aztec elders and nobles about their practices. Uh, He describes the festivals, the ceremonies, rituals, and even clothing that they wore during these. Um, His work was deemed unpublishable as it was a study in idolatry, and it was buried away in some archives. (laughs) So this was in 1557, and it wasn't discovered for another 300 years, and a translation wouldn't be made for for another 100 years after that. So he describes one of these feasts held in the honor of the rain gods. And the text states that blood offerings were made and sacrificial banners were hung on all the mountaintops, as well as in the towns on the shores of the lagoon. And Heather, you want to take this one? Yes. All right. And there they took the children, known as human banners, those who had cowlicks of hair and whose day signs were favorable. They were sought everywhere and brought. It was said, these are precious blood offerings. The rain gods receive them with rejoicing. They are this satisfied and given contentment. If the children went crying, their tears coursing down and bathing their faces, it was said and understood that indeed it would rain. Therefore men were joyful, thus were their hearts at rest. Fucking brutal. <laughs> so, I mean, we can be skeptical. That's like a whole nother level of I'll give you something to cry about. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you want to be sacrificed to the rain god? Huh? Dude? <laughs> I'll take your ass out here and sacrifice he you to you the cry. rain god in front of God and everybody. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen any rain lately. Being good? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we can be skeptical of these colonial writings, and we should be. Yeah. But given the array of sacrificial methods, it might not be such a stretch to believe a story like that. But what is interesting about the Mesoamerican cultures is they didn't try to hide their rituals like a dirty secret, as most other cultures do. It played a vital role, and that is why we see so much evidence of it archaeologically. And in other words, they weren't hypocrites about it. You know, I mean, like, that's why you see it on all the reliefs. You you know, just all the evidence is kind of out there and bared because right. they, it wasn't a shameful thing They're to like, them. Yeah. Well, yeah. I feel like at this point, the rest of the world knew, like... Don't show your rituals to the to the colonizers. <laughs> like yeah. they're real mean about shit, <laughs> and so but they didn't know that. They're just like, "This is what we do in a party. What's <laughs> up? This great." God, you guys aren't gonna be bummers about this, are you? Like... <laughs> Christ, no, he can come. He's invited us. Whatever. 
That's yeah, cool. actually, there were some interesting articles that I read about Jesus being um, like a type of human sacrifice. And well, yeah. I mean, I guess they say yeah. in the Bible, but it's like kind of back to these older traditions. Um, yeah, the, like I mean, there's a re- this reason he's called the lamb for yeah, sacrifice. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He was supposed to die. That was the point. Yeah. Great religion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I wish we could spend more time, but our time together is drawing to an end. It's, uh, yeah, I think it's a lot to take in. Yeah, I mean, and there's so much I wish I could have covered. Um, and for time's sake, I kind of wasn't able to put them in there. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't mention they, they used a chocolate in lieu of human sacrifices. In Mesoamerica? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't I didn't Because it was that. that valuable of a of an item they oh. consider it like blood and they'd make the liquid chocolate and use that instead of killing people. I'm assuming there were some dictators who were like, no, we're doing it by the book. <laughs> and they went back to yeah, murdering well, children. Yeah. A lot of the super ancient, um, rituals, um, would later become like, they would use something else in place of a human. Yeah. It just kind of as societies got bigger. You and... gotta watch out for those fundamentalists, man. Yeah. <laughs> what a turn. Yeah. <laughs> Sacrifice chocolate. Yeah, I mean, and it's also like, you know, sacrifice, is, since it's an offering to the gods or something, it's supposed to be something precious, you know, something really valuable. Sure. So obviously human sacrifice is the most valuable, precious thing you can give. Right. But then you start to see, da- you know, like that list down, like, you know, cattle, yeah. dogs, you know, it's like things that are always kind of closer. Get yeah, closer somebody up. like me is just like, personally, I like chocolate more than people, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, 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 don't waste that chocolate. Who's mm. <laughs> sitting there Oh no, another human died. I can't believe I ate the sacrifice the entire thing. So, I mean, yeah, we'll have to do another episode in the future. Uh, yeah. There were just so many cool things that I, I wish I could have added. Um, yeah. But, you know, we'll, so we'll do that. But I hope everybody enjoyed a, kind of a glimpse into this fascinating world of human sacrifices. Because one thing it shows for me is how many of our cultures did similar things. You know, it's sort of yeah. these human universal universals that we share. Yeah. And though some like to attempt to sweep it, um, to sweep them under a rug, you know, try to get away and just try to maintain that superiority. We all started as beings uh, fearful of the world and one that we didn't quite understand. Uh, yeah. Death was a part of that lack of understanding and how to deal with it and what it meant became a part of the mysterious workings of the world, in a sense. And then also our workings as civilizations and communities. Yeah. So beware the guy who says the sky is angry and we got to murder your kid because the sky is angry. <laughs> and yes. we have to murder your kid. Yeah, we got to murder your kid. <laughs> the sky is angry. Or you, if you say anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so any um, last minute things? Um, em, did you want to plug some, some stuff? Sure. Um, so you can find me at Dog Hair Sweater on Instagram. It's generally uh, all my art stuff on there. Um when this goes up, we'll be linked to that too. So yeah, Heather. Oh yeah, she's actually doing a cool project. Um, you're photographing. Um... I'm photographing lithics from New Mexico that are prehistoric for a Metropolitan State. I know the name of my own college. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Metropolitan State University of Denver. That's awesome. Go yeah. road runners? Who picked that? I don't know. <laughs> my high school mascot was we called the Spongers. <laughs> it was like a sponge diver and they tried to like beef him up and look like oh, hell all yeah. muscly and just nice. like oh, hell dude, yeah. s- you have to post a picture of that oh it's great <laughs> <laughs> look we're the spongers <laughs> mine mine took with the common uh, like rural theme of calling our sports teams the people whose land we took so uh, yeah <laughs> cool cool 
<laughs> the Chiefs. The Chiefs. God, uh, yeah. We were the gladiators. See, that's that. I mean, uh, well, I mean, that's it's, it's so creative. But yeah. <laughs> At least it's like badass. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll be back with another episode. Uh, check us out online at underthependulum.com. And you can find us on all of the... Uh, the socials. All the stuff, yeah. Yep. I'm Heather W. Thomas on Twitter, h.n.thomas on Instagram. And you can also find my narrations on various podcasts, Creepy, Tales to Terrify, Pseudopod. I'll put up some links. Yep, sounds good. Ooh, ooh, can we sacrifice someone on the next one? Can, can oh, I hope it? so. Uh, maybe it'll be... It's research like, design. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> research. <laughs> That's what we call it. It's like I have to clean it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.